welcome to... Hey, Great Shot! This is the Great Shot Podcast, brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me on this podcast, as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and Mr. Worldwide himself, Max Rothman. Hey, Great Shot! Guys, that's a great intro. You got the burnt neck. That... I've got the burnt everything. <laughs> Miami did its job on my body. And you're the so. type of kid who doesn't tan but turns red. So, you, you know, the, you listeners won't be able to see this, but he is quite red. Yeah, it's... Uh, it accentuates everything. The eyebrows, yeah. the, the beard. You know, there's like Holly... So there's, there's regular burnt people, and then there's like Hollywood stereotype burnt people, and then there's me on, on a <laughs> yeah. whole other level of burnt... <laughs> It's uh, it's tough. It's tough being me. That's really funny. I mean, I'm trying to think of a way to transition burnt to long month of February, but I just it's winter in you know, Michigan. It was, so. it was a long week in Miami, and <laughs> it felt like a lo- it almost felt like a month. So yeah. long week in Miami to a long month of February. Let's talk some time. Before we get into today's episode, we do have a bit of housekeeping to do. You know, things have been really busy at Cracked Rackets, and we have a ton of great content to share with you guys. If you haven't already, we'd ask you to tune in to our other podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast. It's our podcast with Dalton Thiedemann, and you know he occasionally lets me jump on as well, where we interview players. Recently, we've had Tyson Kwiatkowski of the University of Virginia, Mackenzie McDonald. We've also done a bunch of the next-gen guys, Tommy Paul, Riley Opelka. Max Rothman was there with an interview with me for Taylor Fritz. That was a fun one. And so, yeah, you know, if you haven't, go check that out. That's on Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really appreciate it if you go give them a rating, a review. You know, you can give us a little bit of a better review, but we'd ask that you give us both five-star ratings. Uh, you know, yeah, if re- you can't tell, we're, we're big fans of the five-star. <laughs> yeah, we love them. Or Because like, we were never five-stars. We wouldn't ask you to give them four and a half, but again, in the comments, maybe say, Alex's voice is more soothing than Dalton's, or something of that measure. Or Max is the better-looking podcast co-host. Which is true. Yeah, so, you know, go give that a listen. <clears throat> we also, at our Cracked Rackets website, of course, have a ton of great great content. It's been a crazy college tennis season. You know, we'll talk about Ohio State, Texas A&M later on in our changeover chat. But between that, the ITA indoors, uh, Michigan's run over Duke and Notre Dame, just every week there's a new match. And obviously we're biased. We watch a lot of Michigan, but, you know, SEC, Pac-12, I know USC and UCLA played recently. Uh, Just a ton of great college tennis going on. And you can see weekly recaps on our website. Go check that out. We're also, of course, if you haven't already, check out our Next Gen series. So far, we've broken down the top American male prospects born in 1996 and 1997. Uh, you know, that's takes from all of our Cracked Rackets team, myself, Alex Leopold. We'll have Alex Gournay on in our new Michael Moe one, uh, Dalton Thieneman, Parker Thieneman. I even think Max Rothman made an appearance in the Taylor Fritz one. So yeah. go check those <clears throat> out. If you can, go follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There's some great photos, and you know we've added short videos to our repertoire now, and so those have been posted on Instagram. Go check those out. A lot of great content, so you know, again, we'd appreciate any reviews, any comments you have. Comment on our chat board. We'd love to hear from you. And the one thing Alex obviously left out is our very own podcast. He talks too much about it outside of this, so he probably forgot to mention it here. <laughs> uh, but we followed suit a little bit 
to the uh, the Cracked Interview Podcast. We did two interviews this past week with the Michigan tennis team and with Parenting Aces founder Lisa Stone. Uh, two awesome interviews, probably two of my favorite pods that we've done in a while. Um, just really great conversation, some cool insight into some insight into what the college recruiting process looks like, uh, both from the Michigan guys and from a parenting perspective, uh, and just some some really great banters. Not to harp on this point, but just you know my perspective since I did get to participate in these conversations. The Tyson Kwiatkowski, the Mackenzie McDonald, those guys, you can tell they spent time in college. They're so polished. They go in depth with all of their answers. Those were two of my favorite interviews. And then you know the energy of the Michigan team and Lisa Stone and obviously getting to do those with you as well those were so fun so do check out these interviews you know it's so fun for us to get to talk to these players because they're the ones actually experiencing the stuff max and i are trying to cover and they just offer a perspective that you and i really aren't able to do so we implore you go check those out yeah absolutely i mean there's some pretty interesting topics we covered. Yeah, we talked about the Hunger the Games Hunger with games. the Michigan team. That's a fun one. We asked Lisa Stone about all these rule changes. The some good stuff. Transition. Yeah, no, it was it was some fun conversation. So, like Alex said, if you can check it out, it would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of what we have on deck, you know, the next gen series will be ongoing. We know that Taylor Fritz Pod is the white whale of the Great Shot Podcast, but it will be out there soon. Obviously, we'll get to these 1998ers as well. We will be talking about the ITA indoors, and we will be talking about college tennis and reviewing the ITA indoors. That's just something we want to dedicate a full podcast to. Also, in terms of today's topics, on the Challenger circuit, in terms of San Francisco and Indian Wells, those events will be completed by the time this episode is released. And the ATP front, Acapulco, perhaps you know qualifying for Indian Wells, those events will have already started. And so we're not going to cover those today. We want to wait until all those events are completed and you know give them their own time to shine. But you know, there's tons of content we still have to get to. Absolutely, and you know, obviously, tons to look forward to, but tons to talk about in February. There what a was, month! Oh, unbelievable! We had what nine tournaments in February, all with crazy results, lots of next gen results. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk to you basically about every single tournament that happened in February. Obviously, that could take forever, and we're not going to keep you here for two hours, so we're going to institute the shot clock again for this. <laughs> we like that feature. I like making Fliegner work a little bit, so yeah, right? it's, it forces him to listen while editing. So we're going to go with three minutes per tournament uh, and try and you know make sure we keep it under that if possible, but we also are going to stick with the rules if you want to bring one extra minute to, to one of them. That is in play. What if can we do one medical timeout per three? Make it like a three set match. All right, fair enough. Three set match, one <laughs> like medical it. timeout per three. Okay. My, the other disclaimer we should have: obviously, Max and I have a preferred bias for the young American players. Those players were very prominent at the New York Open and Delray. You know, obviously, we'll talk about Francis Tiafo later on. But so those two events in particular are the events we're going to do deep dives of in terms of matches, in terms of all of the non North American events. You know, just given the hours. Of the day it's harder for max and i to follow those events so we will be going through the draw and still instituting those three minutes to go through those draws but we won't be doing as much statistical breakdown more just our evaluation of the matches and the storylines we saw coming out of each event but with that said fliegner cue the clock sound effect rothman cue the clock so the first event we're going to cover 
the Sofia Open in Sofia, Bulgaria. In this event, number one seed Stan Wawrinka, number two seed Adrian Manoreno. So, you know, in terms of the top two guys, not exactly top 15 threats in 2018. You know, there are some interesting results in this match. You know, the first one that really struck me, it was great seeing Ernest Golba's name back in the draw. Mm. Ernest is just a guy with one yeah. of the most funky games on tour. And anytime he gets to show off the fear hand is fun for me. I also love seeing a, a Yuzni Seppi first rounder. Kind of two two guys that are, have been on the circuit for a while. I don't know. Seppi's a little young. Yuzni's what, like 36? Well, I guess just, yeah, mainly Yuzni. Also interesting that Yuzni went from Bulgaria, and then I know he plays in Del Rey later on. So a lot of traveling for Yuzni. But yeah. hey, when you're that old, you got to get your you know your tournaments in. Hey, great in show. Terms of the story, <laughs> in terms of the storylines from this, you know, there were no Americans in this event. Obviously, a lot of them were gearing up for the New York Open and for Del Rey. Uh, Stan Wawrinka, not exactly good Australian Open. He lost second round. but Still he- recovering from that, you know, hip injury and, and trying to make sure, obviously, that he's healthy for the the rest of the year yeah and he's a guy who makes the semifinals pretty good showing but he loses to Mirza Basic and we might be butchering a lot of pronunciations in this one yeah. but we'll give it our best go Basic is a guy 26 years old from Bosnia in terms of my most notable storylines from this event the first thing that stuck out to me there were no Americans in the draw you know not to be biased but obviously my appeal is then slightly less uh, in terms of the, you know the best performances, you actually had Marcos Bagdadis beating Manorino, the two seed in Manorino's first round match. That's a match Bagdadis won six seven six three six one. You know he still got all the tricks in the bag, and he's fun to watch. That's uh, I mean not super surprising. I mean Bagdadis pulls out big wins against these guys in some of these tournaments, and obviously has so much experience. So good for him and a good win. And I think just the the main thing we got to touch on is just Basic and and his win of this tournament, taking out Warinka and making it through, starting as a qualifier. I mean, that's impressive. Well, I, I want to ask you just for Warinka. You know, he's a guy who lost second round of the Australian Open, hasn't exactly been in top form in 2018. Semifinals, a good performance, right? That's the type of result, not quite Nishikori challenger win. Or, or, or let me rephrase that. What do you value more, the Stan Warinka semifinal or the Nishikori Das? or the Nishikori Dallas Challenger victory because they occurred around the same time. Yeah, I mean, tough to say. I, I guess the thing that, you know, we'll talk about in a little bit is in a falling tournament he actually loses in the second round and so so yeah, I think it's indicative of him not being at his tip top shape, but uh, hopefully, you know, he gets healthy and, and can move forward. Yeah, in, and as you year. mentioned, he lost in the semifinal to Mirza Basic. Mirza Basic is a 26-year-old from Bosnia. He's currently ranked 76 in the world, which is right around his career high. He has two ATP tournaments on the year. You know, this is his first career ATP title, and before this he had never won a title, but he had won two challenger events. You know, this is a huge result for him. This guarantees him entry probably into all of the slams for 2018. Yeah, absolutely, and Hopefully we get to see some more of him and uh, see how he plays throughout the year. And in terms of the bottom of the draw, you know, he beats Marius Kopel in the final. Kopel capitalizes on that Manorino upset. Takes and out def- Haas also in the first yeah, round. Yeah, and Baghdadis had lost the round after. So, you know, there's just a ton of chaos on the bottom half. And Kopel's guy, 27 years old, the Romanian, currently ranked 75. Oops, sorry about Just no ATP titles for him before this is his first final good good result for him interesting event in bulgaria but okay let's might give you a point penalty for going over there (laughs) oh it's sophia open interesting (laughs) event it was but on to the ecuador open 
So in this tournament, we actually had one American match. Uh, we had two players who actually played against each other. We had Ivo Karlovic going up against Ernesto Escobedo. Uh, Evo pulled this one out 6-4-6-7-7-6, kind of the classic Evo score with two tiebreak sets. Uh, it was a good match, but you know I've I've seen Ernesto struggle against some of the big servers. So I have um, to say, interesting choice by Ernesto. You know he was in the draw for the New York Open, and he plays this event in Ecuador the week before. You know he had a week to travel because he ended up losing first round. So I can't imagine it affected him too much. But still, I like that he's having an active ATP schedule and he's searching to get points wherever he can. You know when you play a guy like Karlovich, like you mentioned, the lines are going to be so thin, and two tiebreak sets says it all. It's an either or match. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you'd have liked to see him to win that match, but still, good to see him playing events and you know getting as much match playing as possible. Yeah. Another storyline from from this tournament: we had Pablo Carreño Busta losing first round, uh, something we don't see from him too often. And obviously, we got to talk about this final. We have Roberto Carbeas Baena. I think I'm saying his name right. Uh, taking out the two seed. I like it. Uh, Sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been told I've got you know somewhat of a nice Spanish oh, accent. You were in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's rubbing off on me. Uh, but he took out all. Uh, but he took out Albert Ramos Vanolas in the finals, six three four six six four. A nice win over the two seed. Obviously, you know, didn't have to go up against Pablo because he lost first round. Uh, but but a great win. Uh, Carbeas Baena is twenty four years old from Spain, currently ranked seventy nine in the world. And uh, congratulations to him winning his first ATP title. So uh, you know he's five and three on the year, and maybe we'll see some more of him if uh, he keeps it up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you covered most of the things. Two other small matches that pointed out to me, but. You know, I'm a bit of a nerd. I love the next-gen guys. Nicholas Jerry goes on a nice run here, makes his first career ATP quarterfinal, loses to Carbales Benya, uh 7-6 in the third. Good result for him. Casper Rudd, another next-gen guy, pushes Monfils in the second round, 6-4, 3-6, Good result for a young player who I think we'll be seeing break on tour throughout 2018. Last fun match I forgot. This is a USC matchup of Yannick Hanifman versus Roberto Quiroz. You know, those are guys who played doubles together in college, obviously won a couple national titles together. So it's fun to see them competing against one another on the pro tour. Uh, but yeah, that, that's really all I got for that tournament. Anything else from you? Nope. Let's all right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Fligner, cue the next clock. All right. This was a very fun event in Montpellier. Yep. Is that how we want to do it? Yep, Montpellier. In Montpellier, France. This is the Open Sud de France. David Goffin, our number one seed. Luca Puy, the number two seed. And this was a match full with top-level players. You know, Karen Hatchnoff isn't even seeded in this event. You have Jill Simone, who ends up playing Goffin first round. Guys like Medvedev, Gasquet, Tsitsipas. Yeah, Ferrer in it as well. I love it. And for entertaining, you know, Sanga. In terms of interesting styles... In the draw, you have two servant volleyers, Dustin Brown and Mishka Zverev. You know, this is a match played in France, so like I mentioned, the Puis, Gasquets, Simone, Songas, they're going to have the home crowd advantage. And yeah, some of the match results that stick out to me, again, Goffin beats uh, Simone 4-2, and two. he beats Hatchnov 4-4, four and four. and then for him to lose to Richard Gasquet in the semifinals, 6-4-0-6-6-3, interesting result. When you win a set 6-0, you should never lose the match. Oh, absolutely. That that kind of score reminds me of like a 
USTA boys 12s result. You know, when you get that <laughs> weird 6-0 set in the middle, I, I don't understand those matches. No, for sure. Two other young guys that stuck out to me, you know, Andre Rublev beats Garcia Lopez, beats Shardy to make the quarterfinal, loses to Songa 4-6. Another good result for these next-gen players, you know, anytime you can make an ATP quarterfinal, those are valuable points that will, you know, carry on later in the year and will you know, for some of these guys, maybe push them into that next-gen finals event as opposed to, you know, not qualifying. Another young Russian I was impressed with, Karen Hatchnov, and we'll talk about him later on because he actually wins one of these events in February, but first round beats Ferrer in three sets, beats Barankis two and six the next match. That's, you know, a match his legs could have been tired, but they weren't. Uh, It's great to see these young Russians break through, and, you know, this is going to be a theme of this podcast, but these next-gen players are ready. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe Rublev pushed Sanga a little too hard in, in that match because next match against Pui, he ended up retiring in the second set. Um, and, you know, Pui went on to the final to win, beat Gasquet 7 6 6 4. Huge win for Luca Pui, one of the Absolutely. most underrated players on tour. Just doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. No, he's, he is solid from pretty much all, all and, parts of the court. You know, this is a little sneak peek because later on in this podcast, we're going to do our top five performers of February. But. Luca Pui is one of mine. You know, this is the way you want to start your month. You know, your, your team is the defending Davis Cup champions, and obviously Davis Cup is the first week of February. Then you win an ATP tournament in France. This is the type of momentum that builds, you know, great start to the year. Well, there you have it. That, yeah, that's I our, like it. That's our Montpellier Open. Absolutely. Well, let's transition to our next event, and this is going to be a Max Rothman special because Max Rothman favorite Roger Federer obviously had a wonderful result in Rotterdam. This is, you know, Rotterdam, Netherlands. Uh, Fliegner, cue the clock. Max, what were some of your favorite results in this event? All right, well, obviously, I got to just talk about Federer real quick. Made it through this draw, only losing one set. Taking out Bemelmans one and two, taking out Cole Shriver, six and five, taking out Robin Haas four six six one six one. I think he must have had a little blip in that first set, and then realized, all right, I'm I'm taking it to him. You know, six one six one is pretty strong. Taking out Seppi three and six, and then just whooping Dimitrov in that final two and two. So. Yeah. Well, if I can say, isn't that four six six one six one? Wasn't the match over Haas when he regained the number one ranking? So maybe he came out tight. Yeah, that's true. Oh wow, that was the match. A moment of tightness. His first since probably two thousand seven, like French Open. Yeah, seriously, (laughs) and and his tight is probably not. It's like I'm missing my backhand by half an inch. Yep, and he's (laughs) angry about it. (laughs) But yeah, this is uh, you know Federer's ninety seventh title. He's now back at number one, as you said. 306 weeks, so almost six years of being world number one. I mean, geez, if I could be world number one at anything for six years. That's ridiculous. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, he's He so, might be in college for six years. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> being number one at staying in college. Yeah, exactly. Um, he also passed 10,000 points for the first time since 2012, so clearly he's doing something right he's winning a lot maintaining those points Uh, i think it's gonna be another good year for fed absolutely and you know i think i'm gonna make my thing for these events focusing on the next gen guys you look at some of the young guys performances i don't know if we still think alexander zverev is next gen but i think by age by age he is and so he beats ferrer first round four and three but he loses second round to seppi you know four and three that's not a result you want to see from zverev zverev's a guy who's won a master's event before you know these lower level tournaments you should be cleaning up on these types of players and he actually split with his coach as well uh his coach being Juan Carlos Ferrero and mm-hmm. so you wonder if that factored into this shaky result and obviously we've seen some Acapulco and he's playing better 
but it's just interesting to see a result like this from him. Another guy who did well, Daniil Medvedev makes another ATP quarterfinal, taking out Muller, taking out Hughes Herbert, uh, also losing to Seppi. Man, Seppi must have just been playing well. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, losing that match in three sets. Good result for him. Another guy who performs well, Andre Rublev, you know, he takes out Luka Puy, who's obviously has that championship hangover and makes the quarterfinals. He ends up losing to Dimitrov 6-3-6-4 in that quarterfinal guy who beat him at the Australian Open as well. And I'm sure they were wearing their matching pinks. Uh, but one incident we haven't talked about from this tournament, and it's a relevant incident because David Goffin has now pulled out of Miami and Indian Wells with his eye injury. That's an injury he sustained against Grigor Dimitrov. Dimitrov was up 6-3-0-1 in their semifinal encounter and ended up hitting a ball while Goffin was at the net, and it snapped off of Goffin's racket and popped up and hit him in the eye, and it's it looks, a serious injury. It looks brutal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many of you have been hit in the eye before, but this one... You could tell it really got him. It wasn't just like around the eye. It got him in the eye. It was bloodshot. They took a close-up of him uh, while he was sitting at, at his chair and... It looked painful. I'm sure he was having a hard time seeing. And I wonder in terms of Indian Wells if it's just a confidence thing, if he's not ready to come back full time. Yeah, I mean, you know, and maybe we just don't know the extent of the injury. That's that's the kind of thing where if he has retina damage, that can really cause some time off tennis. Um, but we just hope for the best for him. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned this fetter. Ooh. Do you want to hear my fun Federer stat? Yep, go for it. You okay. got one minute. Okay. Well, I don't want to use my medical timeout. Yeah, you've already been through three, so you may as well. Um, okay, fair enough. So this is from Ricky Diamond on Twitter. The ages of the next-gen finals participants, this is from 2017, when Federer first became number one. Rublev was six. Hachnov was seven. Shepovalov was four. He was four. Shorich was seven. Donaldson was seven. Speaking of which, sorry, this is a side note, but Chorich, where has he been? Yes. Yeah, Chung was seven. Medvedev was eight. Quinzini was eight. Your boy AG was eight. I was seven. Yeah, that's and just. He's been. And he's number one in the world again. Just remarkable. Yeah. Literally 14 years. I later. mean, another, you know, it's not to ruin it, but he will be one of my top five performers. Oh, I mean, it's just as ridiculous. Well. You have to, you have to yeah. give it to him. Absolutely. So but, okay, I, I don't need the rest of my medical timeout. I'm ready to move on if All you right. are. Yep, let's do it. So the next tournament we're going to talk about is the Argentina Open taking place in Buenos Aires, a place that I've been to, absolutely love, great empanadas, although <laughs> spend too much time there and you'll start to get annoyed oh, of them. I think Jared Donaldson, you know, shameless plug for cracked interviews, <laughs> but I think he also mentioned the empanadas in terms of his training in Argentina. Yeah, I mean, you literally have them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh so. no, you know what? It was you who mentioned it before. <laughs> Never mind, sure. it wasn't him. I'm sure it was me, but oh, uh, I remember now. Back to the tournament, you know, lots of uh, good players in this as well. We've got Boost at the two seed, TM at the one seed. I uh, gotta give kudos to TM for, for taking this one. Also, going through this without dropping a set. Um, played some tough matches. Played Ceballos, 4-3. and three. Pea, 6-4. and four. Took out Monfi, 2-1. and one. And then takes out Alhaz Bedene, 2-4 and four in the final. So clearly TM's back on his game. You know, I've, we've talked about him a little bit recently and how he's been in somewhat of a slump. But, you know, good for him for taking this tournament home. And hopefully he carries this uh, through the rest of the year. 
Well, in terms of, I don't know if it's pronounced Bedene, Bedin, however you want to pronounce it. You know, he's 9-5 in 2018. He's currently ranked 44. He took and, out both Ramos, Vanolas, and Schwartzman, who are playing fantastic at the moment. So Yeah, this is a, it's a huge result for him. You know, this is the type of thing where, again, you're now going to be guaranteed entry into most of these yep. events throughout the clay season. And in terms of just making money, you make more money in the first round of ATP events. So Absolutely. results like these propel you throughout the year. You know, you mentioned the big results, Diego Schwartzman making the quarterfinal. I'm sure he would have liked to have done better in a tournament that's in his home country. Uh, you mentioned it, though. Dominic Team. he's a guy you think is constantly struggling. Just he seems yeah. fatigued. He doesn't really break through in these small events. I don't know if I really agree with that. I think it's early in the season and just wait till he's slugging on the clay courts. But, yeah, I yeah. mean, big result for him. To win a tournament like this is huge. I agree. And, you know, I... I... Not too much more to say about this tournament. Uh, some good players, some fun matches. Not many next-gen players in this one. Kind nope. of upsetting. No. Pretty, uh, we got some vets here. Yeah, and so, you know, we're not trying to poop on the vets. We like the vets. But of course. I think we're ready. To move. I mean, I, I I didn't get to catch much of this event, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, no, me neither. But fun fun tournament, good matches. If you have a chance to check out the highlights, I think it's worthwhile. Absolutely. But okay, let's move on. Fliegner, cue the clock. All right, our next event is in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. That's the Rio Open presented by Claro. Some of the biggest things for me, we do have an American in the draw. Tennis Sandgren coming off of his Australian Open performance wins his first round match against, you know, previous champion earlier in February, Carballas Benya. He wins that match 4-6-6-1-4-3. Good result for him. And then he ends up losing next round 7-6 in the third to Fabio Fognini. So glad to see he's playing good tennis and capitalizing on getting into these ATP tournaments. In terms of our top two seeds in this event, you have number two seed Dominic Team, who again had won the week before, but you know comes into this event with the momentum. And then the number one seed Marin Cilic, who I haven't really seen much of him since his Australian Open final. Obviously, a good way to start the year, and you earn some rest with a result like that. But you could tell he was a little bit rusty, and that's really one I, I want. And that's really where I want you to jump in, Max, because you know Gael Monfils is one of your favorite players. He beats Marin Cilich in the round of 16, 6-3, 7-6. What do you think about a result like that? I mean, definitely Gael Monfils for, for taking that win. He hasn't done as well in some of these previous tournaments. He's been in almost all of the draws of the past tournaments we've talked about in this pod. And so, good win for him. Obviously, couldn't carry it forward because he loses the next match to Diego Schwartzman, uh, who's also been playing out of his mind recently. But... Again, more importantly to me was the fact that TM lost in the second round of this tournament. He just won. We just talked about how hopefully he would carry this momentum. And then he loses to Verdasco 4-0. and I mean, that's that's a weak, weak performance. Well, I mean, we talked about this with Pui as well. There is something to the championship hangover. And you mentioned it. If you want to be the best at the slams, you have to be able to go two weeks, you know, consistent top form and just not losing. And Absolutely. That's what it takes to win I think a slam. this is like a try. It needs to be looked at as a trial run rather than just a tournament to get some practice. Where I disagree with you is given that team probably ended on Sunday and had a match starting Monday, Tuesday, there is something to having to travel midweek and just get situated on new courts and new court speed and just you don't really know much about the opponent and you're in a hotel. Sure, but at the same time, I, but it's I different do than think, a slam. Yeah, but I also do think that a lot of these top guys sometimes give up in these tournaments. I've seen some guys just throw away matches and, and I hate seeing that. That's not fun for the fans. Well, I, I have to 
agree with you, I guess. You know, they come to see the top guys, but it was still a high level of tennis. And you talk about the guy winning, Diego Schwartzman. I don't know if there's a more exciting player on tour than him. Just such oh, a burst of energy. Okay, no, no. In t- I'm saying to watch in person. The ener- right, fine. Yeah. Maybe not exciting, but energetic. Yeah, no, the guy he, is so lively on court. He's always moving his feet. Small, yeah. He's a hustler. I know, yeah. you know, racial connotations aside, you compared him to David Ferrer because, in your mind, Ferrer's the ultimate grinder. Yeah, and he, he plays. We debated kind of, this earlier. I know. <laughs> but just Schwartzman's a guy who, you know, you've compared to David Ferrer in terms of his grinding ability, just so energetic, moves side to side so well. And I imagine fans are engaged with him because he really is hustling out there. But definitely got to give credit to Diego Schwartzman for, for this, you know, winning this tournament brought him into the top 20. It's his second ever ATP title. Uh, obviously, super fun to watch, as you said, but but also an awesome victory for him. Getting that win, breaking the top 20. Excited to see more of him this year. You know, another next-gen guy who did well, Nicholas Jerry, makes another quarterfinal. This time actually makes the semifinal before losing to Schwartzman 5-2. and two. Great result for him. You know, you talk about the guys Schwartzman beat along the way, though. You know, he beats a tired Nadal. His first-round opponent, Casper Rudd, retires with injury. Then he beats Del Bonis, not exactly known for his prowess. Uh, he beats Gael Monfils after he's worn down. Point is, good tournament, good result for Schwartzman. I'm ready to move on. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about our next result. Okay, we have one tournament left before we get into our American events and take a deep dive into some of these events. Fligner, if you could, cue the clock one last time. Okay, let's get into our last tournament. This is the Open 13 Provence in Marseille, France. You have a great result here with, with Karen Hatchnov, the next-gen Russian who we mentioned earlier, taking out Luca Puy in the final, 7-5, This is the second career ATP title for Hatchnov, and in the live rankings, he currently sits at number 41. Obviously, for Puy, for him to make another final in February, great result and you know something to be proud of. Two finals in three weeks, really good. But what do you think about this? I mean, yeah, it, this is a great win for Kachanov. The, the thing that's more... Is it Kachanov or Hatchnov? I feel like it's Hatchanov. You're probably right. Okay, sure, but go on. Clearly we're bad at names yeah. here. <laughs> Give, bear with us, everyone. We're, we're still learning. But uh, what's more just striking to me is that, again, we have another tournament where the one and two seed are out early. We have Bautista Gut losing in the second round of Benito. We have Warinka pulling out of his match against... Ivashka, 6-4-1-1, retire. I mean, this is another classic example of these smaller tournaments having big-time players losing early on. Yeah, you look at the field. Puy beats Uzerber, he beats Krajinovic, he beats Ivashka, and then he loses to Hatchinov. Hatchinov had a much more difficult pathway. Beats Bemomans, beats Zverev, beats Benito, and then beats Burdic to make the final, you know, before beating Puy. That's a, you know, a That's tough a good path. Tournament. Yeah, but... I think you're right. I think it speaks to a theme we've seen through all of these events, which is there's a ton of parity right now in men's tennis. Any week, any given player can make a run, and a lot of it depends on draws. A lot of it depends on matchups. These are things, if you follow the ATP Tour, you know, and that's always going to be a factor. But to me, more so than ever, with these absence you know, of the Stan Wawrinkos who's bowing out with injuries, you know, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, they're not playing every week. A lot of these events are wide open. So I guess that's the question then is, you know, is this a direct indication of what to expect for the Grand Slams moving forward? Obviously, the Australian Open was very different in the sense that we've had players that we haven't seen before making it very far. Um, but is is this something that you think we're going to see for the rest of the year? This constant theme of, you know, 
top guys not being in the tournaments or losing early and some of these younger and newer guys making it far in and doing well. Well, I think there's separate issues, right? There's issue number one of are these old guys not going to play? Old guys is a pejorative term. I'm sorry sure. about that. But are these you know veterans of the tour, the ones who have 10 plus years and are worn down by how physical their careers have been? Okay, that's fine. So then let's hypothesize. Ooh, I like it. You're cutting me off. Yeah, yeah. So let's say then that all the top guys are in the French. Do they lose early? And are, and are we going to see some of these newer, younger guys making it far? So do I ever want to bet against Nadal at a French Open? Probably not. Hey, but let's talk about the other. If guys. you're ever going to do it, isn't this the year to do it? Think about it. He, you know, loses. What round did he lose in the Australian Open? I'm he lost what quarterfinals. Right, we're, we're using our our addition yeah, here. I'm pretty sure it was quarterfinals, right? He lost to Chilich, uh-huh. yep. and you know that's something he pulls out with an injury, and he pulls out of Indian Wells. He pulls out of Miami. So we're not going to have a chance to see him on the hard courts again. But it is a long clay season, and there will be time to you know gauge his performance, gauge his form, where he's at going into the French. So I don't want to write him off quite yet yeah and i don't think you can you know he's obviously won nine french opens so that's... sure but what if fed skips the clay court season again what if he said it works for me last year i'm gonna do it again that's an option right well, we might. don't know i mean that's fine that but that still means he will be in that french open draw and taking away potential opportunities from some of these younger newer guys my point is that we have talked a lot about what confidence does for tennis players. I think a lot of these guys who are getting these 250-point wins, who are making it far in these 500-point tournaments, they're going to be gaining confidence while these other top players are either losing early or just not playing at all. Well, so who are the common names we've talked about through these seven other tournaments in February? We've talked about Luca Puy. Puy. Do you think he can win the French Open? I'm not, I'm not even talking about winning. I, I'm using we're, my medical we're using, time yeah, too. We're using yeah. both here. Yeah, exactly. This is it's we're alive now. It's yeah. rocking. So Luca Puy, do you see him winning the French? I'm, I'm not even talking about winning. I'm just talking about making a run. Contend- sure. Okay. Taking I'm, out some of the top. So seeds. you're avoiding the question. I'm going to say the answer is no. I don't see Luca Puy. No, I just don't uh, think no, I'm playing. I, I, also I think, don't think uh, so. you know, on a hard court, Luca Puy is definitely something to rec- Look, you know you have to recognize. I still don't think any of these guys are going to. So win that's my the counterpoint, French. though. Dominic I want to see why couldn't Dominic team? He just won, you know, an ATP event, and yeah, no, and then he, he didn't win second round. Okay, the next tournament. one week still, and this isn't on clay. Dominic team's best surface is clay. The the guy makes. I think he's made two French Open semifinals yeah, no, before. I mean, he is an experienced top five player. If ever there was an opportunity for him to break through it has to be this french open i'm just not convinced on him but but sure i want to go back though no more murray you know he's not scheduled to come back to a grass court we haven't seen Djokovic, and if you follow him on you know social media you know his hand was in a sling for a little bit so that's yeah. another undisclosed injury we haven't even we talked also about. we also do not really have a warinka i mean he's, or he's nishikori or rayonich yeah and, and we haven't heard dimitrov's name at all except for that fed rocked him again but do we right. think dimitrov with his one-handed backhand looks good going into the the French Open? I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. So to answer the question, yes, it's wide open. And the question is, which of these young guys is going to go through? And will it be one of these one guys? You know, I'm sorry, Fligner, but we're off with the clock. I'll take the point penalty. <laughs> so this idea that, you know, Alex Zverev, right, wins a, a Masters event on clay last year is a top five guy. But he's never advanced to a second week of a Grand Slam. Do we think the French Open is going to be his time to break through? And if not now, then when? Because it will be wide open for him. Look, for all the tennis fans out there, I am hoping, in all honesty, sorry, that what, the what, French... No, we the French seen Hyun Chung yet play on clay. I know. I would love to see that. But I was just to say, I think we, for everyone's sake, are hoping that the French is similar to the Australian. I love the craziness of the Australian. Wide I, open. And I think... 
you know, if I had to place a bet, I know we haven't been very good about our bets <laughs> no so kidding. far. We're, we got to stop doing that. But if I had to place a bet, I think we are going to see a similar type of draw to the Australian as we will see in the French. What odds would you have to be offered to take the bet of the field against either Federer or Nadal? So anyone but Federer or Nadal to win the French Open right now. Just give me a you know random number, top of your head. If 100 to 1, do you do it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. 5 to 1? Maybe. No, no, no. 5 to 1, it makes sense. Well, you can risk 5 to 1. If it's anything that big, it's got to be like 1 to 5. Because they're the heavy favorites. Who else is going to break through? I mean, Fed might not even play. All right. You know, we've probably spent enough time on this. We You're have, right. But have. I just think, I don't know. It's wide open. I'm excited. Bottom line, I'm excited for the French. Absolutely. Okay, we do want to cover the American events because New York, Del Rey, you know, crazy things happen. And again, next-gen Americans are our thing, so we will get to that. Before we do that, we want to take one quick break, so we'll be back. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. There's a little little delay there. I just, I didn't know how I wanted to do it. It's a long February month. I'm not sure how excited. Wait for Delray. That's Uh, what I have to say. So we're going to talk about the New York Open. This is part two of our February recap. Uh, Part three, we're going to cover Delray. But for right now, we're sticking to the New York Open. Lots of exciting matches. Alex, take us away. Well, you know, the New York Open, it was the first non-U.S. Open ATP event held in the city since 1989. And I have to say, just subjectively, it's nice to see New York have a second tournament. New York should be a hub for tennis. You know, Absolutely. They have the, the McEnroe Academy there. Obviously, you have the beautiful grounds of the U.S. Open. It's just a place that seems conducive to more tennis events, although I don't know about the traffic. But according to Mackie McDonald, and, you know, shameless plug, but from our cracked interviews, he said the Players Hotel was connecting to the facility. So it sounded wow. very nice for the players yeah it sounded like a good event i have to say our first debate before we get into the tennis i don't think it's much of a debate well certain members of the crack rackets <laughs> team who shall remain nameless Fair were enough. in favor of the gray colored courts and here at the great shot podcast we cannot disagree more it's actually just gross like i horrendous i don't first of all what was their? I, I wasn't a part of this conversation. So what was the arguments for it? I don't Look, even get I it. tend not to read things I disagree with. It's a, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, but just put them, put them <laughs> exactly. behind you. I think the argument is you know Labor Cup was the same. Although I have to say each team wore blue and red, and so aesthetically, just the I think the team jerseys just stood out more. Uh, I just don't like the gray courts. According to Bjorn Fertangelo and a couple other guys who played the tournament, I think Karlovich was the other, they said you could see the ball better because it's a better contrast with the gray court, you know, the, the yellow ball. of the ball. Yeah. yeah. So maybe there's not something f- to that. But yeah, these players are wearing white and black on a gray court, and it's right. disgusting. How more, well, also, how much more boring can you get? Like, That's at least what I'm saying. a little excitement in there. The other thing, I, I've always just not been a fan of same colored courts. I want differentiation between out and in. Could not agree more that's a great little thing that it makes a difference i mean obviously they're not calling their own shots and so very true that that is a little bit less of a factor in this but it makes it a little bit harder to distinguish whether the ball's in or out i I don't know i've never been a fan of that and i just again the gray colors 
if you're going to do that, don't allow the players to wear white or black. It's just unacceptable. It's so bland. We want a little sex appeal in our sport, and gray's just not going to cut it. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, obviously not a fan of the courts. And clearly I don't think the crowds were either because the crowds were kind of weak. Well, the one thing is a lot of these matches, especially early in the tournament when there were a ton of matches being played, they're held during the day. And, you know, New York is a bustling city. I can't imagine it's easy to schlep yourself to the tournament. And I think the crowds did reflect that i think you know depending on the week you play this event you can draw more or less attention but still good to be in new york i agree the crowds could have been better i mean or it was either either they're working or they really hated the courts as much as we were, and they just said screw it i'm <laughs> like not it's not theory. worth it sure let's go with that but okay you want to talk about the tennis <laughs> yeah let's do it all right well let's start with the first round you know i'm happy we're covering the new york open now because we can get back to talking about our next gen american male players our first match we're going to talk about is a next gen special you have Ernesto Escobedo taking out Mackenzie McDonald, 4-6, Escobedo now ranked in the 120s, a guy who had to come through qualifying and actually beat Chris Eubanks in the final round. So good momentum for him coming into the draw. But yeah, a big win over Mackenzie McDonald, who, you know, made the final of the Dallas Challenger, had a run at the Aussie Open, obviously. He was playing well, and this is big for Ernesto. He needed this win. Absolutely. And, you know, going into this match, I honestly thought that Mackie was going to pull it out he's been playing well Ernesto's been you know kind of kind of up and down and uh, I'm, I'm definitely surprised with the result I've got to say Ernesto pulled out the big shots at the right times that was what I think differentiated them in this match well I want to go back to something you mentioned in our Dallas podcast you said Mackenzie McDonald is the best returner on tour even better than Djokovic and Murray a hot take at the time I want to point to some stats from this match because you talk about Ernesto Escobedo Yes, he has a big first serve, but sometimes the second serve sits a little bit. It's not like he's always going after the second serve. But in this match, he makes 65% of his first serve, wins 77% of his first serve points. I think, like you mentioned, that speaks to his ability to hit the serve plus one. You know, Mackey hits a short return and Ernesto goes after a forehand. And again, in our interview with Mackenzie McDonald, I asked him about this match. And he said, yeah, you know, Ernesto can crack a forehand as hard as anyone. And it was reflected. Yeah, he hit that one jumping forehand oh, that just was actually just ridiculous. Unbelievable. If you haven't, go check it out on YouTube. Ernesto. So in the third set tiebreaker, you know, I think Mackenzie ends up getting a ball back and he hits it, you know, high loopy shot and Ernesto hits a jumping forehand it was, winner. It was down very Gael Monfi, you know, Kyrgios esque. It was, it was awesome. gorgeous. But the stat I want to point to is his second serve points one. Ernesto's winning 55%. And to be the best returner on tour, you can't let your opponent win 55% of his second serve points. Yeah, you know, that that probably was the reason that Mackey lost this match. And, you know, I still don't think that this was necessarily due to his poor returning. I think, you know, for the most part, Ernesto was doing a really good job being aggressive when he needed to be. And sure, I think Mackey could look back at this match and say I could have been more aggressive on his second serves but at the same time I, I really just think that on those games where he was serving he was taking advantage of the ball I mean this was an either or match total points one Escobedo 97 McDonald 93 both guys break each other once Escobedo goes one of two on break points McDonald one of four for me when you're talking about tactics and I mentioned this in the last pod but my new thing is looking for patterns I think when McDonald was able to make his first serve and be aggressive, and in this match, you know, he makes 71% of his first serves, wins 76% of those points, and 
67% of his second serve points when he was able to move Escobedo side to side, expose Escobedo's weak lateral agility. That's when he was playing aggressive tennis. And, you know, Mackenzie McDonald's the type of player who moves forward, cuts the ball off and you know, Ernesto's not going to hurt him too badly on the run. And that's why this match was so close. And both guys protected their serve. It was a high level, you know, definitely ATP quality match. You know, one thing I will say about this, though, is I do think Ernesto was moving quite well. I think. Really? Yeah, I I do. I, I think this is a match that for the most part, I agree, should probably go in Mackey's favor because Ernesto doesn't move, you know, laterally that well. But I think that he was able to stay in those points, especially when he was moving side to side. And the reason he was able to take this match was he was staying in the points long enough where he could get his shot and get on top of the ball and be aggressive. Mackie just wasn't there enough to be aggressive, move forward. While he did that, it wasn't obviously wasn't enough to take down Ernesto. I thought Escobedo did a really good job of working his backhand cross court, working the angle, getting McDonald off of the court. And then just because McDonald has to buy time for himself, he's not able to push the pace on Escobedo, not really able to expose his movement. And, you know, we've said it before, but when Escobedo gets a clean shot at the ball, it's as good as anyone on tour. And like you mentioned, he did a great job of looking to be aggressive of hitting inside in forehands or big backhands cross court, big backhands down the line. And yeah, Escobedo played aggressive tennis. It's not to say McKenzie didn't play well, but this was Ernesto at his best. Yeah. And if you, I mean, take a look at match point, for example, it was a very close sick third set. And in that tie Seven, break, six. yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure it was six, five on Mackie serve and Ernesto just hit a massive down the line forehand to take it all. I mean, I think that pretty much speaks for the way that he is, his mindset was during the match. But again, overall great match, really just fun tennis to watch. If you haven't watched it, go watch some highlights. It's it's really high. You quality. never want to say something's a good loss, but McKenzie has no reason to hang his head because he played very well. All right, let's move on to our next match. This is the beginning of the momentum, and we're, you know we'll obviously talk about him at length when we do our Delray Beach review. But in the first round of the New York Open, Francis Tiafo defends the 2018 Australian Junior Boys Open champion and American Sebastian Cor. 4-6-6-4-6-2. This is the second time we've seen Tiafo be the older player in the match. I'm referring to, obviously, his match against Kasmenovic in Newport. You know, Max, what did you think about this? So, you know, first of all, I think Korda has a great game. I know we were talking about this. His strokes are very clean. You don't want me to say this, but you called it a country club game. Yeah. But I just think that's an interesting term. Explain what you mean. I don't know. I think there's a type of game that you, you learn in, you know, quote-unquote country club setting where it's very technically sound, you know. Smooth. Very smooth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think you definitely see that on the backhand. It's very, you know, shoulder squared, turned, drive through with the left arm. I, I mean, I think it's very technically the way that a country club quote-unquote coach would want their student to look. I could not agree more. I mean, Corda, a 17-year-old, obviously. And, you know, the reason that Corda might actually have these kind of strokes is he has a tennis background. His dad is Peter Corda. He's a former Australian Open champion. Um, You know, he grew up around tennis, and he's currently the ITF world number one junior and ranked 842 in the world. And he is competing against Tiafo, who is clearly playing 
outstanding tennis. Yeah, Tiafa is a top 100 pro, and, and for Korda, he receives a wild card into this event as a reward for winning the Australia Junior Open. It's something he definitely deserves, and I agree with you. The game is incredibly smooth. I think he looks aggressive. He reads the game very well, knows when to attack, knows when to move yeah, forward. Yeah, definitely a very smart player. However, I think there are some very indicative stats as to why this match didn't go his way. Just taking a look at second serve points one, Korda won 33% of his second serves. It's not I mean, going to cut it. No, never. In, in any uh, but circumstance. But I think that's a physical thing. Sure. And, and that's, you know, that's obviously a huge flaw of his. I mean, it's not a an intentional flaw. He's just 17 years old. He's young. There's there's only so much he can do. But, I mean, looking at what Tiafo did, Tiafo was winning 78% of his first serve points to Korda's 68%. Tiafo also kind of low in the second serve points one, only 45%. You look at Tiafo's break points too. He won 5 of 17, he won 30% of his break points. I mean, just having 17 break point opportunities, it, th- this match was in his hands. You know, I watched these highlights on YouTube, and the first thing I noticed is Tiafo actually broke Korda to start the set, and he just kind of went through a, a rough patch, you know, midway, set and a half through. Yeah. And then, you know, he righted the ship. He started playing aggressive tennis. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but the big thing I saw in this match, and this was an emerging theme for Tiafo, the serve plus yeah, one. His serve. ability now to, like you mentioned, Max, he won 78% of his first serve points. He is doing a really good job of protecting that serve now. And he took advantage of Korda being 17 years old, moved him side to side, made this a physical match. And, you know, Tiafo's in as good of shape as any 20-year-old I know. And he just played a solid match. Absolutely. And, you know, look, I think uh, we definitely are going to see more of Korda in the future. His game is great. He's smart on court. Uh, I'm, you know, excited to see what he's got in his future. All right, so let's talk about our last first-round match. And this match was, you know, had some very interesting uh, tennis, but also some controversy in it. This is the Ryan Harrison versus Donald Young match, where Harrison took the match 6-3-7-6. Obviously, we want to talk about the tennis, but before we do, there was uh, quite a controversy between these two players. Donald Young tweeted after the match, he said... I'm shocked and disappointed, Ryan Harrison, to hear you tell me how you really feel about me as a black tennis player in the middle of our New York match. I thought this was supposed to be an inclusive gentleman's sport. Ryan Harrison proceeded to respond by saying, The accusations made by Don Young tonight following our match are absolutely untrue. I'm extremely disappointed that someone would say this in reaction to a lost tennis match. Any video slash audio will 100% clear me, and I encourage anyone with the available resources to find it. Now, the ATB has done an investigation on this and basically has cleared Ryan Harrison of all accusations. Any wrongdoings. Yeah, basically they said that there wasn't any audio that could clearly define what he said, but, you know, at the same time there was nothing that was indicative of him, you know, making racist remarks toward Donald Young. They haven't spoken since and, you know, hopefully as two young Americans they can uh, work this out, but but clearly this was something that has driven some divide between these two players. I mean, 6-3-7-6 is a close match. You look at the break of serves. Harrison has three, Young has two, so obviously they're both getting into each other's serves, and in, in a match where, you know, it's a pecking order match for all the American guys, obviously tensions are that much higher, but you never want to see anything like this, and I'm sure, you know, Harrison said something that should not be repeated on this pot or would have to be quacked out. And there's a, an apology that has to be made by Ryan Harrison to Donald Young for just any miscommunication that happened. But, you know, you want to hear Donald Young's side of the story. You know, Ryan Harrison went on the Sports Illustrated podcast and talked to John Wertheim about the situation. But we haven't heard Donald Young's side of the story. And before you make any big conclusions, you really want to hear that. 
So also one more thing before we do talk about the tennis. The chair umpire for this match actually also came out and said that I was right there and I didn't hear it. No one heard a racial comment. No one on my side. No one on Young's side. No racial terminology whatsoever. So, you know, clearly there was some sort of, you know, conversation between the two players. There is video of it. It clearly looked hostile. But, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear that Ryan didn't say anything. This is just petty stuff that you don't want to see, especially when it's two American players. It takes away from the tennis, which is what we want to focus on. And, you know, we'll turn to the tennis now. In terms of the differences in this match, you look at the first serve percentage. Harrison, 68%. Donald Young, 54%. Uh, you look at second serve points one, Harrison wins 48% of his, Young wins 50% of his. And so, you know, the difference of this match is the first serve percentage and then the first serve points one, where Harrison goes 73%, Young goes 63 You also got Harrison with 10 breakpoint opportunities converting three. I, I hate to say, Donald Young just still has not developed a weapon. No, that's, that is, I mean, we've talked about this a bunch. That is his biggest weakness is just that there is nothing that differentiates him. I do want to have that debate with you, but we'll save that for later on. All I'll say is they turn to this match as Evans. You know, he's getting these first round wins. He is taking care of matches where Ryan Harrison should. You know, he looks fit. He looks aggressive on the first serve. And yeah, he's playing good tennis. Again, we'll table that debate for later, but good win for him. Always good to beat another American. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, a few other noticeable first-round results. We've got Ivo Karlovic, who took out Jared Donaldson, 6-4-7-6. You know, another match where Donaldson struggles against a big server. I think this is a match that I would have loved to see Donaldson win, but... Yeah. If Karlovic is seeing the ball as well as he claimed in that article, then it's going to be tough to it, beat him. I, <laughs> big absolutely. boy here, yeah. Yes, definitely a big boy. We, uh, you know, we had Stevie lose also in the first round to Adrian Menendez Maciaros, one six six three seven six. Stevie Johnson. Stevie Johnson. Yes, excuse me. I know my Southern California roots coming out. Uh, we got Nishikori taking out Noah Rubin, seven five six three. Rubin, we, of course, receives a wild card because he's a New York kid, and it is the New York Open. Of course, you, you love seeing that. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, we've got Bjorn Fertangelo losing to Radu Albot, 6-4-6-3. So, um, you know, some good first-round matches. This is pretty good tennis. For sure. Fleener, cue the applause for our first-round Americans. I agree with you. Good first round, high quality of tennis. You know, enough Americans moved on to the second round to certainly keep this match interesting. We didn't mention him, but obviously Sam Query lurking in the draw after getting a bye in the first round. So you have a plethora of Americans moving forward, which led to an exciting round two. And let's get right into it. Let's talk about number one seed Kevin Anderson taking out your guy Ernesto Escobedo, 3-6-6-4-7-6. Anderson was obviously more successful than you were in middle school tennis. Why do you think that was? <laughs> um, you know, this is just big boy tennis. Uh, this is a lot I of... I love that you say that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very indicative based on these stats that, you know, if you think about it, both of these guys are, uh, you know, big serve, big forehand, see what happens with the point. And if you look at their first serve points one, Anderson's winning 88%, which is ridiculous. And Escobedo, not too shabby himself, 83%. So Ridic- That's elite. Yeah, it, that when you're doing that, you're just not losing many service games. However, looking at the second serve points, this is where the difference in the match was. Anderson winning 86% of his second serve. Escobedo only 61%. That's a 25% spread between their second serves. Well, the good thing for Escobedo in this match, both guys only broke serve once. 
you know, Anderson had three opportunities, Escobedo two. So it doesn't really seem like either guy was really getting into either serving game. Yeah, that's true. And you look at the total points one, Anderson 88, Escobedo 78. Not bad. I mean, Ernesto kept this match close and, you know, neither of these guys are going to move that well on the court. And it really seems like you know, whoever got control of the point early on was able to dictate the terms. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Anderson obviously went on to win this tournament. I was saying in his match against Query, he was playing fantastic tennis. He really is. looks like he's seeing the ball well. He looks like he's moving well out there. Uh, just a bummer because, you know, obviously if Escobedo takes this match, maybe we see an Escobedo Query final. Oh, that's speculation, Jones. Oh, I know. Like and we would have seen an Escobedo Tiafo quarterfinal. Considering the rough run Escobedo's had recently, you know, winning an ATP main draw match, losing 7 6 in the third to the number one seed, this is a good result for him. I, I still think he doesn't look that comfortable hitting Valdes, and that's always going to be something that if he adds that to his game, I don't know how you're going to break him. And I, you know, the lateral movement is what it is. I think he moves the ball really well side to side I think I I really don't agree with you on his lateral movement like yeah you know what sure he's not a Mackie out there he's not someone who's about to be flying all over the court but he moves well for how hard he hits the ball well I want to save this for Delray but I think you look at a guy like Fritz versus a guy like Tiafo, and I even think you can include Donaldson and then even a guy like Escobedo in that Fritz conversation and why they wouldn't have success versus a guy like Shapovalov. Shapovalov moves the ball off the court. He's the lefty forehand that's hitting cross court. And I think when you get a guy like Fritz or Escobedo stretched, they don't do a good enough job of getting the ball deep and being able to play aggressive tennis. And when you make Fritz and Escobedo play defense, they don't do well. Yeah, but I I think that both Escobedo and Tiafo move drastically better than Donaldson and Fritz. So that's interesting. You're higher on Escobedo's movement than I am. Like I mentioned, with Tiafo, I think where he had success, and we'll get into this, is you got him stretched on the backhand, and it didn't matter. He was hitting the backhand that well, and he was able to assert himself somewhat to where he wasn't always on the defensive or hit a ball down the line to Shapoval. And in that same sense, I think that's exactly what Escobedo does. He's in the similar sense to Tiafo. Obviously, he's not playing as well as Tiafo right now, but he's able to stretch that back in and not let that hurt him on his lateral. Well, where I disagree with you is look at the return points. When Anderson's winning 88% of his first serve, 86% of his second serve, he's stretching Escobedo. Yeah, but that's not that's not as applicable to this. When you're playing a guy like Anderson who just rips the out of the ball, like (laughs) what are you supposed to do? Like, I don't care how fast you are. There's only so much you can do against a guy like that. Escobedo's movement is correctable. You're right about that. And he has enough weapons to, like we've seen, hold serve against the top player. So he's ready to make a jump into the ATP top 100. I think we will see him have success. Maybe not so much on clay, but as we get back you know, to the grass courts and then especially the summer hard courts, I think that's where he'll thrive. Uh, encouraging result. I apologize if I came off as low on him. I am very uh, you know, pleased with how his development looks. It's just nitpicking. Yeah, no, I absolutely hear you. But, uh, you know, move on to the other guy we were just talking about, this Francis Tiafoe. This is one of Tiafo. your favorite matches. Yes, so, you know, Francis Tiafoe versus Duty Sella. Obviously love talking about Duty, love watching him. Um, you know, I think this is, I said this before this match started, this is a match I think Tiafoe should win every single time. The way he plays, especially against a smaller guy with a one-handed backhand like Duty Sella, this is a match that he should win. I love the fact that this third set was just a 6-0 solid set for Tiafa. I love seeing him go out there and really dominate this match. It really proved to me that he can, first of all, split sets, collect himself, and then say, I am the better player. I'm going to go and show it. And he absolutely did. 
so I wasn't able to watch this match, but the two statistics that really stood out to me, first serve percentage for Tiafo, 68%. Percent of points won on the first serve, 72%. Again, he is protecting his first serve so much better than he used to. And if he's able to hold serve, his hands are good enough to where he can win any match. Yeah, I mean, and that's going to be a theme that we talk about about with Tiafo over the next two tournaments. I mean, he's said it himself in a few interviews that the reason he thinks he's playing so well is the way that he is serving, and it's evident. Okay, again, I didn't see this match, so do you have anything left to say? You know, not really. Again, really fun tennis to watch for the first two sets. Obviously, Tiafo was dominant in the third, but, uh, you know, I I always like watching. Well, speaking of fun, let's do our first gimmick of the day. All right, here we go. (laughs) Fleener, cue the trivia sound effect. So with this second round win, Francis Tiafo becomes the ninth American male born after 1995 to reach an ATP quarterfinal. My question to you, Max Rothman, can you name the other eight? And you don't have to name the event. Okay, so I think we either did this off mic or in another pod similarly. But Well, I will say, given that he's the ninth, it's been updated. It's true. It, it has this is updated. a relevant stat for us next-gen fans. Yeah, no, I hear you. So obviously this is going to be pretty much all next-gen guys. Um, so this one, we're, we're talking about Tiafo here. So we've got Tiafo, we've got Escobedo, Donaldson, Fritz. Um, wait, that's three, that's four. Don't look at your screen. I'll catch I'm you. Not, I'm not. Yeah, you're at four. Uh, four. Um, Tommy. Tommy got I'm, there. We are on a first name basis. Uh, Tommy Paul. <laughs> um, oh, I remember I, I messed this up last time. Eubanks. Eubanks, yeah, great Eubanks call. had one was in that Atlanta. A, was that Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, that's six. Oh God, who? Three I? more. Mo, Michael Mo. That's correct. Mo's, okay, Mo is your Australia guy. So that's seven. Another one. This guy beat your boy Stevie on grass to make his first quarterfinal. Oh, didn't Kozlov? I'm so glad yeah, you got the yeah, yeah. Kozlov is eight, and you have one more. Think Atlanta as well, but before Eubanks. This was not. This was 2016. That's my hint to you. He's older than. I've just like listed all these. Oh my god, that guy is tall. Oh, Opelka. <laughs> Opelka is our number nine. It's so hard when you got it. I like feel like I named all the next gen guys. Uh, Fritz, Kozlov, Opelka, Paul Escobedo, Eubanks, Donaldson, nice. Moe, and now Tiafo. Thank you to our favorite. Those stats are brought to you by our favorite Twitter follow, Jonathan Kelly. Thank you for that. Getting back to the New York Open, some other notable second-round results. You have Elbot beating John Isner, 7-6, Classic Isner. I mean, Isner has just not gotten off to a good 2018. Yeah. You have Karlovich carrying his first-round success into the second round, taking out Ryan Harrison, 4-4. Four and four. A theme we'll be seeing is Harrison losing to these tall players, but more on that in Delray. And then we have Sam Query beating Mikhail Yuzny, 6-4, 6-3. So again, we have Americans advancing to the quarterfinal. We have Tiafo, We have Query. Good showing so far. I thought New York Open, good second round. Yeah, absolutely. It's been good tennis, and there's only better tennis as we kept going. Speaking of quality, let's get to our quarterfinal, the one we're going to talk about. Kevin Anderson takes out another young American, takes out Francis Tiafo, 6-3-5-7-6-4. You know the phrase we keep coming back to, big boy tennis. Kevin Anderson can protect his serve. Yes, that is without a doubt what allows him to be so dominant. You know, Tiafo. So can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you think him going to Illinois playing college tennis because he's a good volleyer? Is it a product of going to college tennis or is he just a talent? Or is it both? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I think the fact that he got some doubles experience in college is definitely helpful. 
and the development of his volleys is something that he'll, you know, probably forever be grateful for. Uh, but at the same time, the dude is huge. He rips the ball. I Six to eight? Yeah. I think it's a lot just to do with his talent. Yeah, Kevin Anderson is extremely talented. I think he hits really well both sides off the ground. I think he moves pretty well for someone his size. If you leave a short ball in the middle, which Tiafo is suspect to do, especially with the backhand slice, Anderson will take advantage of it, and he's going to rip inside out, inside in, and he's going to move in behind it. And so, you know, Tiafo scrambled, and he did a good job of taking that second set, but in the end, it just wasn't enough to get by Anderson. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this was this was good tennis, I think. This is a really good kind of warm-up match, I want to say, for Tiafo going up against Delpo later on. I was going to say, it's easy for us to say that now. Yeah, I mean, of course, now that we know what the results of Del Rey are. But at the same time, I think this has been helpful. You know, obviously, he has also played Delpo before, so there's, you know, that factor. But he's starting to realize what it is like to play these big servers, big forehands, just big baseline hitters. And, uh, you know, clearly he's he's holding his own against these guys. I've said it for every match Tiafa played in New York. He makes 57% of his first serves. You'd like to see that a little higher. But in terms of protecting it, he's winning 82% of his first serve points. That is the number you want to see. Again, this is the stat that we keep talking about. He has been confident in his first serve. If he can continue to do this... He's going to be so successful. He holds Anderson to two of seven on break points, only has three break points himself. So, yeah, Anderson was the one applying pressure in this match. You know, I didn't get to see much of the highlights, but it's a good showing for Tiafo. This is the type of thing you build momentum off your first quarterfinal. And considering he only had one main draw win, and that was a challenger win, you know, over Kozlov in Dallas, this is the type of result that propels you forward moving into 2018. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, just a few other notable results from the quarterfinal. Manorino and Nishikori both win in three sets. You know, good wins for each of them. And then you have Query taking out Karlovich 6-6. Six and six. Uh, So, you know, some good wins there and some high-quality tennis. If you have a chance, check out those highlights. Yes. But on to the semifinals. We've got Query taking down Manorino 6-7, six, 7-5, seven, seven, We've got Anderson taking out Nishikori 6-1, 3-6, 7-6. Again, just high-quality tennis, very fun to watch. You know, I didn't get to see the highlights for any of these matches, but I will say about Nishikori's result, steadily building back. You know, first-round challenger lost, win a challenger, make an ATP semifinal, lose 7-6 in the third to someone who's currently in the top 10. It's good to see him getting back in form. Absolutely, and, you know, we he has been struggling, as you said, and uh, hopefully this is an indication that he's you know, on the rise Oh, it kind of speaks to why I like his path better than what Warinka did of jumping right back into the Australian Open. Build yourself up with match play. Don't jump right into a Grand Slam because your body's not ready to handle that. And so I'm not saying this is proof of it. You know, again, I'm not a doctor, but I just think this shows Nishikori's slow build back is how you should rehab from an injury. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, you know, obviously Warinka only got to the second round of the Australian Open and has tried to make some appearances in these smaller yeah, tournaments. struggled and, in February. One semifinal, one first-round loss. Yeah, you know, has obviously not been you know, the same type of progress that Nishikori has shown. So, you know, maybe Nishikori's doing it right. Absolutely. But let's talk about our finals because we did watch the highlights for this match. This was Kevin Anderson taking out Sam Query 4-6, 6-3, 7-6. They hit the absolute cover off of these balls. I mean, this is even bigger boy tennis than the bigger boy. It, bigger boy this tennis. Is big boy spinoff restaurant. Bigger boy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is even bigger tennis than the Anderson and Escobedo match. Query was oh my god. Some of the returns were just absolute 
I mean, sometimes they were just slaps, to be completely honest. You could not leave a ball in the center in this match, or it was no, going it was, to get was hit gone. with yeah. pace into the corner. And I think Anderson does a good job of working the inside out along with the inside in. I think Query does a better job of snapping his forehand cross court. But both of these guys were fine slapping cross court, you know, going for their big backhands down the line, hitting first serves, you know, going for bombs. And you look at the difference in this match, the thing that I see, second serve points, Query only wins 38% of his going 12 of 32 Anderson over 50% 58% with 18 of 31 and again but we talked about this with um, I think I want to say it was one of the Tiafo matches earlier was that even with this huge difference in the second serve points one it was a close match it was you know three breaks on either side but this ended up in a 7-6 third set and it really did come down to that tie break which Anderson just blew him away. I mean he just was playing great tennis and yeah you know I think the thing that's indicative though and when you look at the tiebreaker what happens is when Sam Query's hitting a second serve you know Anderson is taking the time away from him and mm-hmm. Query's on the run immediately and that's just not going to work and so it looks like Anderson did just that much better of a job protecting his second serve getting Query uncomfortable and stretched so that he could play an aggressive first ball. Absolutely. You know, I will say we did say this was big boy tennis, and if you left the ball in the middle of the court that it was pretty much gone. But I was pleasantly surprised with the longevity of some of these points. They really did construct some points, and, and I did enjoy some uh, some pretty long rallies from this match that I honestly wasn't expecting. Well, I will say for Kevin Anderson, he will be another one of my winners in February. I just think this is such a good result for him. And and as of March 3rd, 2018, he's at a career high of number eight in the rankings. You know, he's cracked the top 10 at age 31. What an impressive accomplishment. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, we, when we were watching this together, we were both saying, and or at least more on my end, that he really looks like a top 10 player. I mean, sometimes you get guys who break into that top 10 from a, a few fluke wins, but... The way he's playing, he looks dangerous. Given the dearth of top players right now, Kevin Anderson's a threat to win majors. And, you know, he can't move that well on the clay, but, you know, on a grass. Again, looking to the U.S. Open, we don't know how healthy all these guys will be. Why can't he make another run this year? Uh, Yeah. I definitely think he could be considered a quote-unquote dark horse for this this coming season. If he wins a slam before Grigor, I will be upset. Oh, that would be egregious. Egregious? That's good. I like it. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all we've got on the New York Open. In my opinion, successful first year for the event. I don't know what the final line will be, but you know, I'm hoping to go there sometime in the future. Absolutely. I know our very own Teddy Brodsky was there and, you know, we'll try and get him on a podcast to hear his thoughts about the event, but you know, yeah, like we said, successful event. Absolutely. And you know, I, I, the last thing I want to say about the tournament is just as a whole, I think we really are starting to see our next-gen guys breaking through. Even Having Escobedo go to a 7-6 third set with Anderson, having Tiafo push Anderson in a tight match, I mean, they're clearly pushing these top guys in tough situations. I love where it's going. They're on the cusp. The yeah. margins are so thin. It's going to take mental strength and just executing in the big points. And, you know, as this will be a perfect transition to our Delray Beach. As we've seen, these guys are now yeah. protecting their first serves. They are playing ATP-level tennis, and it's just fun to watch. Absolutely. Couldn't and, agree more. So that's all we've got about the New York Open. You know, rousing success. We look forward to watching it for years to come. When we come back with part three of our February review, we'll be talking about my favorite storyline from the month, Francis Tiafo's title in Delray Beach. So if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to come back for that.
a great shot production. production.